Hi, welcome to Promo Insiders, an ASI media podcast covering the topics that matter most to the promotional products industry. I'm executive editor, Sarah Lavandusky, and today I'm joined by Richard Montanez, the keynote speaker at the virtual ASI Power Summit next month. Richard will share with us his incredible personal and professional journey over more than 40 years, along with his hard-won marketing and leadership advice for entrepreneurs. Richard, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm looking forward to the one coming up. So thank you again. Of course. So I wanted to start with, let's start at the beginning. You worked your way up from janitorial services at Frito-Lay to the position of vice president of multicultural sales and marketing at PepsiCo North America. That is, of course, an incredible achievement. And it's also being made into a soon-to-be-released film directed by Eva Longoria, which is huge. So during your more than 40 years in business, you were key in creating new products such as Flamin' Hot Cheetos. That's the, the, the uh, biggest one. Can you tell us about that journey and how you managed the product innovation process along the way? Yeah, well, you know, starting off as, as, as a janitor and then, uh, you know, if you follow my, uh, my career and, and even go further in my background, you know, I, I never had a formal education. You know, I, I quit school at a very young age, so I struggled with reading and writing. Um, but I had, a, you know, a, a great father and a great grandfather who uh, gave me uh, their advice, not so much business advice, but just advice, advice as a human being and a man. I always, I always taught me, treat everybody with respect. You know, if you're gonna work, be the best worker, don't complain. And so I did those things when I started and, you know, before I ever, what people don't know about me is before I ever created any product that made millions, literally billions for the company, uh, some of the first things I did is I saved millions for the company. Mm-hmm. I created some programs that, because uh, uh, I started in operations, you know, running a product, running a plant, and I learned everything there is to know about making a chip, whether it was a potato chip, a Dorito, a Cheeto, a Frito. I learned everything, and, and I got that from a, and this is good advice for young people starting out. I got that. See, I grew up during the, the, the old school type of leaders and managers that were pretty rough, hmm. uh, good and bad. But I remember an old school vice president, uh, you know, he saw that I had good work ethics, and he told me, the one thing you're going to need to be successful is you got to have technical competence of your product. And I thought, what do you mean by that? Because you need to know everything there is. And I and I took that advice and I learned everything there was. So when it came to developing new products and marketing them, um, I was I was separated from my my colleagues and my peers, because most marketers, and I don't mean all of them, but most marketers, um, they have you know, let's just market. Here's here's a here's a good idea. You know, a new product development or a marketer will say. Let's make a chip this big, you know, and put it in a bag this small, which is impossible. So the guys in operations will say that'll never happen. So I never had to experience that because I knew what it would take in operations. So it was a big plus. So I, I always tell people, you know, marketers, you know, learn learn the operating side of the business so that you know what you're talking about. And then when you do want to create a new product or a new strategy, you won't be fooled by the so-called experts saying that we can't do it. So when I would go and introduce a new product and somebody said, we can't do it, I said, yeah, let me show you how. So, uh, you know, that was part of my experience. Remember that I saved millions. In operations, uh, you don't make money. You save money. 
-hmm. In sales, you make money. So I was saving hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, making a name for myself. So, um, you know, that was the, the first thing. So that when I went into and created, uh, you know, my first product, of course, I was a rookie. And it was, uh, the truth was, my presentation was probably at the best sixth grade level. Mm. Uh, you know, but uh, I was very fortunate that I had a couple of leaders who uh, believed in it. And I was able to, you know, communicate, you know, what I was trying to accomplish. That's why I say, you know, people say, you know, marketers have good imagination, which is true. But the great marketers can see the imagination of others. You know, and that's what separates you. When somebody comes to you with an idea, can you see what they're seeing? And, you know, and, and again, you know, growing up in operations, you know, starting off as a rookie, I remember, you know, at a big meeting, I didn't know what you're supposed to you know, do or say. But I, I remember uh, one of the marketing executives said, well, I don't like that idea. And I said, uh, with all due respect, sir, uh, it doesn't matter if you like it. It's not for you. You know, you're not the one that should be answering that question. This this product is designed for, and it opened up a whole new world. And that's what I'm saying. You know, before I, I made products, I was changing the game within my own company. Another good example, you know, and this is for the, you know, the R&D folks is I was, I was changing the texture of Doritos and Fritos. I was saying well, they need to be this way and they need to be that way. And a scientist told me once in a meeting in front of everybody, said, uh, you're ruling the quality. That's not good quality. And I said this, the quality at, you know, whose tongue? Because what you say, throw away, I say, put in a bag and I can sell it. So we learned the diversity of quality was different from this tongue to that tongue to this tongue. Everybody's taste you know i grew up eating mexican food of course you know somebody who never had that they're gonna think that this is what a tortilla should taste like mm -hmm. now saying no a tortilla, a tortilla has to be a little bit burnt mm. a tortilla has to be a little bit and they were like you know it's burnt nobody's gonna like it you know and, uh, so those are the things that i learned you know and that's why i'm saying you know uh technical competence is so important of the product that you're trying to sell mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, yeah. And and so I know recently you experienced what could have become a real PR crisis when your history with product development was called into question. So I'm wondering what your professional advice is for deftly handling a situation that could negatively impact your individual brand and reputation, as well as a company's image at the end of the day. Well, you know, when that happened, that was incredibly crazy to say the least. It was just unbelievable. You know, I don't know if it was, you know, somebody trying to cancel me or, or what. I really still don't know the details, mm. but I know what sustained me. And what sustained me is what I used to teach my executives, uh, the people that worked for me or, or the people that I'd mentor. I'd always say, you know, build a hedge of protection around you uh, with the community. Let the community know who you are. Let the community see the things that you're doing, you know, and, and sometimes we're taught, you know, hey, don't, you know, don't boast or don't brag. But I, I don't consider it boasting and bragging. And, you know, uh, that's what helped me as my personal brand is I had congressmen, senators, uh, famous people from Hollywood, 
calling PepsiCo, you know, advocates saying, hey, this is our guy. You have no idea what he has done, you know, and uh, I think that pretty much put an end to it. And uh, mm -hmm. but it was it was interesting, you know, but I realize now that, uh, you know, um, you can't wait till you have a crisis to do good things, do good things today for the community and your brand. Protect yourself today because it's going to come sometime unexpectedly as it did in my life. Mm. And I was able to survive this because of my past, of all the stuff that I had done, you know, within the community. My community knew my brand. Mm -hmm. You know, my community knew the, the brand of Hot Cheetos. So whatever, you know, and this is what I see sometimes, you know, today, today, you know, uh, I counsel and I, and I mentor some of the uh, top companies in the world, some of the top CEOs. I won't mention their names because it's not polite. Um, but I, I coach them, you know, you have to protect your brand today by, you know, uh, serving the community and not just by writing a check. It's beyond a check. You know, years ago, um, when I was a young man starting off, I remember one of my CEOs said, uh, I need you to go out and um, own the Latino community. And I need you to capture the Latino community was his exact words. And I remember I thought for a moment, you can't capture the Latino community, but you can become a part of it. That's the difference. You know, somebody said, we're going to go capture the African-American community. We're going to go capture the Asian community. No, 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 you're not. But you can be a part of it where they recognize you and you they invite you in. So I've always taken my marketing approach completely different than, you know, uh, most marketers who wanted to put a, you know, a million dollar you know, program together. I always, I always made sure that, you know, am I servicing my community? Because, you know, they are, they are my customer. They're the people that, you know, making my brand what it is today. You know, am I meeting their needs? You know, and I've always done that, you know, and I, I would go out myself and uh, meet with uh, leaders of the community. You know, I wouldn't send anybody out. I, I would go out there. I, if they invited me to lunch, I would show up. I try to sponsor as, as, as much as I could. Um, and, and the other things that I, that I would also do, um, with these, uh, you know, these advocates is, um, I would help them with their marketing. So I would use my gifts and talents to help build their business. So that's why, you know, um, we had such a great relationship. They, they came out on my behalf. I didn't ask anybody to, I didn't ask one person to make a phone call. Yeah. I didn't want to ask one person to write an article. But they all came out out. You know, I was I was overwhelmingly blessed with such love mm -hmm. from my community and those that had served. The African American community came out, Asian community, you know, my own. So, uh, so I tell you know, I've been saying this, you know, um, you know, start today. You know, don't wait till you have a problem to call a PR company. Yeah. You know, if you do things right, you probably won't have to call a PR company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And along those same lines, I wanted to ask you about your time and, um, you know, and your experience with multicultural markets. You know, you retired two years ago as vice president of multicultural sales and marketing for PepsiCo North America. And, uh, you know, and you touched on it, but if we could go a little deeper, what would you say is key to developing product for those markets, for multicultural markets, as well as the importance of leading a diverse team to do just that? Well, you know, that was... Uh... Um, probably the, I've had many roles in my 42 year career, many, many roles. I've been in marketing, sales, operations. I've been in government affairs. I've actually been in HR, 
you know, so I, uh, but uh, the multicultural was uh, my favorite role, but it was also my most difficult role. Mm. And not externally, but internally, trying to teach folks um, what marketing to, you know, different cultures was all about, because some of them just didn't understand and didn't get it, you know, and I'm the type of individual, um, if somebody said, well, I didn't, I don't get it, I, I moved on. You know, because it, it was going to take a lot of time to explain to this person, to, you, know, um, you know, what we were trying to accomplish. And that's just not that's just not a good thing you should ever say is, well, I don't I don't get it, um, you know, because to understand multicultural marketing, all you got to do is step outside. If you're telling me you don't understand, if you, if you want to see how many you know, African-Americans live in here, how many Latinos live here, then then you're you're completely out of. Out of tune. All you got to do is step outside. All you got to do is go to the grocery store. All you got to do is go to the So I, I still use the, uh, you know, the grassroots approach, you know, how I was educating myself so that I edu educate my team. And I would I would bring in uh, individuals, uh, dif different nationalities to educate me. You know, uh, years ago, we were working on some flavors for the Asian market. Well, I, I was leading that, but I wasn't the guy making the decisions. Yeah, I was waiting till my team like, is this gonna work? You know, uh, how do you know? And and I did the same approach. You know, some of my my um, uh, Asian managers would take me out into the field to meet uh, um, community folks. You know, um, we we were working with a Korean a Korean Growers Association, so I had I had a Korean salesman, so I I let him run the play. You tell me because this is you know you're the expert here and. Um, and we were very successful by, you know, allowing them the opportunity. And, and then I think when the community sees how you treat one of their own, they respect you like, well, you know, Richard really cares about it because he's letting, you know, this person uh, run with it. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, you know, how I did. And, and of course, I kept educated myself. You know, I would try different foods. And, you know, like I've always said, you know, when, uh, what you say throw away, I say put it in a bag. I may sell it. So you have to be careful you know, that uh, you don't offend anyone because, you know, you think it's a bad quality and things like that. You know, th there's a lot of, I was, I, I took extra care to make sure that I approached every different uh, organization as family, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that really went a long ways for me personally, because I'm telling you, they would open the doors for me. And, you know, if I, if I wanted to, you know, sell product at an Asian store, they would like, come on, Richard, we know you, they knew what I was trying to accomplish. And, Mm -hmm. Same thing with African Americans, you know. And we did some great things in Baltimore, Chicago, and um, you know. And so I knew what was important to each one of them, and uh, I made sure that my CEO understood that too. Yeah, I can tell you, like in, in Chicago and uh, Atlanta, we were, uh, you know, we were trying to engage with the African American community. Well, you know, our research showed that you know, church was real important. Uh, to African-Americans. So, you know, we got involved with, you know, some of the biggest churches in that area. Mm. We did what was called, it was a long time ago, we did what was called a van program. And we would buy a, a church, a van for their youth group. You know, um, mm. you know, if, if they did this program with us, you know, and we would find a local uh, supermarket. And the supermarkets love that because you're driving business to them. You're driving business to the community. That's what I call real community development. 
you know, and, uh, you know, we were setting records of, you know, product that we were selling. Then, you know, they'd hit that number. We'd buy them a brand new van mm -hmm. and they loved us, you know. So uh, I, I think, you know, you don't see too much of that. You see it, you see it at, a, at a huge level. You know, maybe you see it at a national level, but sometimes you got to start locally before you become nationally. You like I've always said, you you know, build that foundation. Do people know you? You know, or do they just know you because they saw you on, you know, ABC on a commercial and stuff like mm. that? So you know, uh, I see a lot of companies losing their touch, you know, their individual touch, and you know, and then I see some companies that, and and. If you look at the companies and uh, have built some great brands just recently, uh, they still have that that touch. You know, I won't mention their names because there's some of them are competitors. But, you know, I'm seeing like, you know what, they're using my strategy there because their brand was, you know, five million dollar product. Today, it's 50 million dollars. Tomorrow it's going to be 500 million, mm -hmm. you know, by using that small approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you have to be very. Um... You have to be a people person. You have to be curious. You have to be resourceful and innovative. And I think at the end of the day, you really have to be humble, you know, to work with in that field. And especially in multicultural markets, you have to know that, you, you know, you as one person don't have the answers for everybody. So you bring on people that do have the answers, whatever that kind of takes. And being humble and, and, and giving them the empowering them to inform you of what it should look like. I think that's very interesting. And I don't know that that's very common, the humility, right? Um, I don't, that's, that's I, I don't think so because you're, you're right about the humble part. Cause you know, in, in marketing, not to disrespect anyone, but the truth is the truth. You mm -hmm. know, sometimes they could be some of the most arrogant people out there, you know, because they've never worked in a plant, yep. you know, they never stepped inside of a store, which is unbelievable. Right. They never went into, you know, I would do what we call market tours. I was out in the stores every other day, yeah. you know, checking out what my competition is doing and, talking to store mo or store owners are my people treating you good what is missing things like that so you're, you're right about you know being humble i know like you know i led uh you know multicultural marketing i actually started the first hispanic marketing team you know 30 years ago for frito-lay oh, wow. and then uh you know um then my ceo asked me to do the same thing for pepsi mm -hmm. and when i went from frito-lay i went from frito-lay to pepsi to pepsico uh, mm -hmm. All the same company, but, you know, it, things are just done differently. But I remember when I went to the Pepsi side of the business to do multicultural, that was a, my most difficult job mm. because the Pepsi marketers were saying, hey, we're Pepsi marketing. You know, nobody better than us. And I would say, time out, time out. In some of the stores, you're the third player. You're not even number two. Coke's still kicking your butt all over the place. <laughs> but, so it was a rude awakening. You know, you have to uh, reevaluate yourself. Are you really as good as you think you are? You know, you got to stop looking in the mirror and, you know, saying how you know good looking you are when, you know what, you're, like I said, in some, in some cases, Pepsi was the third player in the market, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, so it, it was, it was a rude awakening. It was, it was a very difficult process, but, you know, uh, we began to, you know, teach them and, and, you know, make some changes and, you know, now they have a Hispanic business uh, uh, team, you know, that's a, uh, I haven't heard anything, but, you know, I know that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well you're said. right. You know, humble. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's, and yeah, it's so, it's, it's key to all of this and success in all of this. 
And, and finally, you know, it's, we've been through it this year with COVID. Um, and and I, I was curious about your top leadership advice for business owners and entrepreneurs, particularly when there's a crisis at hand. Like, you know, for example, the Great Recession of 2008, that was huge. Even 9-11 was, was very, very jarring and very disconcerting for people. And we didn't know what was going to happen next. And now we have COVID and we're still dealing with that. What are some of your, your, your hard-won uh, business lessons on entrepreneurship lessons for, for managing a team in, in a crisis situation? Well, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've considered myself, and this, this is going to be a little bit different, but I considered myself to be prophetic. Uh, and, and some people say, well, what are you? I, I say this, I'm a, I'm a corporate prophet that knows how to deliver corporate profits. Mm. So um, I spent, I, I'm not like everybody else. So I spent the, you know, an awful lot of time analyzing what was coming. I was always ready for the unexpected. That's the way my whole life has been. Always been prepared. You know, I, I, I saw, you know, uh, every crash that was coming, you know, and I would warn my CEOs, there's a crash coming. How do you know? I said, well, here's just look at all this data. If you don't need any, you know, somebody on, on the news channel to tell, tell you, you just know the market, you know, you know, the value of the dollar, you know, you just, you know, you study, you prepare yourself. It's not going to come easy. You know, I did a lot of work, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and like I said, you know, I called my CEO one time and said, Hey, you know, market's going to crash, you know, the housing market's going to crash. And, you know, before it, before it was popular, you know, and I, I have uh, um, notes that I wrote down, you know, and I have dates like, you know, so I literally, I was very, very pro- prophetic. And again, I would just study the time, read the paper, look outside and, struggle and see it so I, I would i would prepare you know f- um for whatever i saw was coming you know i i, I knew something was coming uh, i didn't know it was going to be covid but i knew some type of pandemic was coming you know i i just you know just knew it you know just reading a paper and things like that and you know so i started you know warning people you know what's you know start saving you know start saving you know uh, you can't start saving you know when you're in a crisis you know you prepare for the crisis you know so that and, and i think that's what happened to you know a lot of companies that went under is they were living paycheck to paycheck you know i'm talking big companies now not the small ones you know the small ones that's a different story but you know disappointing that some of these you know multi-billion dollar companies uh, had to go to the government for money when it's like, wait a minute, you know, where's your, you know, uh, you know, everyone knows you should, for a company, you should have six months worth of, you know, cushion to support you. And, and a lot of people didn't have that. Now, the small businessman, or the independent, that's a different story. You know, that that's a daily struggle. You know, uh, some some, you know, can do that. Some can. And I and, you know, I know that there was uh, help, you know, government help for those, which I I agreed with. Like, yeah, they deserve it, you know, because they. Uh, um, you know, they're the front line. They, they're, people say, you know, small business association. And I always say there's nothing small about small business. You know, they are the backbone of this country. You know, I believe in the independent, uh, you know, uh, business owner. So, you know, always be prepared for the unexpected, whatever they may, that may be. Always have, you know, save as much as you possibly can for that time that you might not be able to, you know, move as fast as you can, you know, and, and of course, you know, with COVID, you know, I was telling everybody follow CDC rules, you know, to the best of your ability, you know, and, uh, you know, we, you know, I, I felt, 
terrible for some of the businesses that were closing down, especially the restaurants. And, and, and you know, it, it hurt the beverage business. You know, I think, uh, you know, Pepsi, you know, struggled. But, you know, there was a good, you know, planned, you know, uh, to walk through that struggle. But I, I know, I mean, Coke didn't tell me, but it's pretty obvious, you know, uh, if the restaurants aren't closed, you're not moving any, uh, you know, any drinks and things like that. So, you know. Be prepared for the unexpected. You know, if you have a business, that means you know, be prepared financially. Mm-hmm. You know, save as much as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to get flat-footed, get caught flat-footed. That's right. too many, too many this time around did because they, like you said, it's just having being able to read the signs of the market. I mean, COVID is its own, you know, I would say its own phenomenon. But even then, like you said, there were signs that something was brewing. But yeah, just watching the market and seeing when things could could crash um, and just having a, a contingency plan and saving. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. Oh, well, a lot of good words of advice. Thank you, Richard, so much for being here today. And again, Richard Montanez is the keynote speaker during our upcoming Virtual Power Summit on October 13th and 14th. Registration is now open at asicentral.com slash events. And on behalf of the entire ASI team, thanks for listening. And we look forward to welcoming you to the Virtual Power Summit. And Richard, thanks again. We appreciate it. My pleasure. I'll see you then. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.